Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted 2015, a Christ Central festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next year. Our passion has been for this life zone. It really has been to capture the Father's heart for family. Okay, God loves family. And the first session was all about parenting. And it was a very practical session. Second session, we looked at the exciting vision of the church as family. And this session, what we're looking at is us being family to the nation. And it's a thrilling families at the heart of what God is wanting to do. And what I want us to do, I'm going to hand over to Hazel very, very shortly, and she's going to introduce Chris to you. It's great to have Chris here, and also a regional regional director. Have I just promoted you to regional director? Manager. I'm going to call you a director. So we've got got a regional director. We've got someone in charge of the region, uh, Rupert as well. And it's just so great to have you guys here. You're so, so very welcome. And we know you've got a very busy schedule. And we're just so thrilled you are here. And I'm going to pray, but just before I do, there was one detail, Chris. I'm putting you on the stop on this one, on the spot. There's one detail you let slip last night. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. It's great. Everything you shared. But there's one detail you let slip and you didn't complete kind of almost the end of the sequence of thought. You revealed that you don't like Arsenal. (laughs) To which I would say a hearty Amen. Yes, I'm with you. But what you didn't reveal was what team do you support? Okay, you never walk alone, man. Well, Chris, I want to encourage you, you have some friends here. <laughs> but nevertheless, we're glad you're here. Okay, great. So we're so thrilled you're here and just so be at home amongst us. But I'm going to pray, then let Hazel introduce you. Okay, Father, we just want to thank you for just an amazing time in your presence already. Thank you for these magnificent times of just knowing you, loving you, declaring your greatness. Thank you, Lord, for seeing our children, just part of it, enjoying you. Lord, young people involved. Thank you for the kids that were up here this morning. Lord, thank you for hearing your word through a child. Father, we thank you for that. And thank you that what we're going to hear about this morning, it leans right into that. And Lord, we pray that you will come and so meet with us now. I pray, open our hearts. Lord, speak things. And I pray that lives be, let children and young people's lives be transformed through what we hear this morning. 
Come and do a mighty work, Lord. Come and do a mighty work. Engage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be time for Q&A, and the, there's a text number up again. Just send your, send your questions through on text, and then we'll pick that up uh, at the end of the session. Hazel. Morning. Um, just before I start, we have um, along the front here, because we didn't want to block the exits, we have some goodie bags for you. They have been decorated by the ladies in our church. They have got a few goodies in. They have got notes from the meetings and they've got book recommendations, some stuff about home for good. Um, so please come and take them away because there's nearly 250 of them and we don't want to take them home again. Um, so yes, we won't, if you need to leave early, please just walk and get one. Don't, uh, be embarrassed. Um, I, uh, was just telling Chris last night about, um, my husband Dave and I's uh, experience of fostering and he asked me to just share something before I introduce him. We've been, uh, foster carers for seven years and in that time we have had three precious little boys in our home, one at a time. Um, and we've had the privilege of praying over them and seeing God intervene in their lives. But I just want to tell you about the last little boy. He was uh, five days old and in special care when I first saw him. Um, and he was with us, and he was still with us when he was three. And we'd got to the point of thinking, this is too long. We're going to have to adopt him. We don't know whether God wants us to adopt him. We thought God wanted us to continue fostering. So we got um, a bunch of friends together and asked them to pray with us and fast with us um, for this situation and to know what to do. And uh, one of our friends had a word from God, and it went like this. If you're prepared to let him go like Moses' mother let Moses go, I will provide a Miriam figure to watch over him, Miriam being Moses' sister. And another lady had a word, and it went... It would be a blessing to let him go and selfish to keep him, which was really hard for us. We loved him very much. Um, Then we heard that there were some people in an area in the country where someone very special to us lives who were interested in adopting him. Um, And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic if they went to her church and he would be in a godly family and she would be the Miriam figure to watch over him. And the next thing we heard was that they were in her church and that they were people that we knew and they were people who wanted us to stay in contact with him. And he is now four. He's in their family. He has brothers and sisters. We still see him lots. The person very precious to us sees him lots, babysits for him, takes him out. And Every time one of our children has left, we've brought them to church and we've asked the church to pray them on their way. And when we'd done that with the two previous children, I'd always thought in my mind, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could have the family that were having the child in the church too and pray with them as well. And this time we got to do that. And I got to hand his hand to her hand as we were praying. Have you got your tissues ready? (laughs) And we had the privilege of seeing God speak over his life. And I'm just, I can't wait to see his future and see what God is doing with him. And this is the result of God putting children in Christian families. And this is what we want to see. And I want to introduce you to Chris. He's, um, he's just spearheading the cause of fostering adoption in the churches in our country. He was introduced to you last night. And I'd like you to just welcome Chris. 
you shaking your head. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Hazel. What a lovely, lovely story. And it's our vision, our ambition, that we would see more of those stories happening throughout the UK. So many Christian foster carers um, end up handing children on to, to non-Christian families. And, and I think non-Christian families can be wonderful parents um, to these foster kids. But wouldn't it be even better uh, if we could see more Christians welcoming them and offering them the love that they need? Um, we've got a good amount of time together, and uh, this time is going to be interactive, so you're going to get a chance to ask questions at the end, but also make comments all the way through, and, um, and so be ready for that. Um, if you are into social media, and, and I hope at the end of the session you will be into social media, because it is one of the ways that we can change the way that people think, uh, you might want to use the Twitter handle, at Chris K, and... Um, tweet questions out, tweet comments out, um, so that we can change the way that people on your Twitter feed think about this subject. Maybe a good way to start is if I introduce you to my family. So I, I'm the guy in the middle, looks a little bit like uh, me, uh, that's my wife Miriam uh, to the right of me, and then the back row, uh, that's our kind of birth family. We had three children in three years and we were under 30. And um, it was part of a cunning plan. Uh, the cunning plan was this. I reckon I was going to really be, and my wife too, uh, be in a lot of pain when our kids leave home. You know, if, if, if they kind of go out to work and set up home on their own or go to university, uh, we reckon that would leave quite a big gap in our lives. And uh, I'm a kind of rip the bandage off quickly kind of guy. So I thought if we have our kids quickly together, they might all leave together. And if they leave together, our empty nest could become a love nest again. Just, just me and the wife, long lions on Sundays. Well, actually not Sundays, maybe Saturdays. Uh, those romantic walks on the beach. I mean, we live in the Midlands, but, you know, never mind. And um, we could do those city trips to Copenhagen that we'd never done. And, you know, that was the plan. And then my wife has this idea. She says, darling, why, why don't we become foster parents? And I thought, that is a brilliant idea for other people. <laughs> right? That is so going to mess up my plans. Um, this, you know, we, we, we've done the nappies and we've done the parent-teachers meetings. We've done standing at the football pitch early on a Saturday morning getting blown about. We've, we've done stabilizers. Uh, you know, we've done homework help and I've learned how to chunk. Do you know how to chunk? <laughs> sounds rude. It's not as bad as it sounds. The, um, I, when I was a kid, chunking was, be, was like projectile vomit. <laughs> but now it's how they do maths. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know how to add up and divide and, and multiply. I had to kind of go back to school to learn how to teach my kids how to do maths. I've done all that. Why would I want to go back to do it all again? And um, my wife's a lovely, gracious um, woman. And she's patient too. So she's just kind of left that idea in my head. And, uh, and then I had the mistake of, of reading the Bible regularly. And... Um, <laughs> When you read the Bible regularly, you come across awkward bits, don't you? In fact, if the Bible doesn't challenge you, if it doesn't turn your life upside down, you might not be reading a Christian Bible. And so I'm reading the Bible. I come across a verse like this. How about this? Do you know, you know how this verse goes? True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless 
is. Do you know how that verse ends? True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is amazing worship. It's important, but it's not, it's not there. It's biblically accurate preaching. Important, but that's not how the verse ends. A daily quiet time. Important, but that's not how the verse ends. True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. I'm thinking, God, you are speaking to me. And this is not just a proof text. If, if you do the work, okay, James 1.27 is reflecting on an idea that is present in the Old Testament too. Isaiah chapter 1. It's one of the scariest passages, I think, that's in the scriptures. If you've got a Bible, open it up for a minute. And we'll just go there for a sec. And then I'll carry on with the story. Isaiah 1. There's a guy on the front row who's just bought a new Bible just for this seminar. <laughs> so cool. Has it got Isaiah in it? Let's have a look. Isaiah chapter 1. Let me read to you. Um, it's weird. Isaiah is a beautiful, wonderful prophecy from God. And yet the only bits of it that we read regularly are chapter 53, because that, that's good on the whole kind of Jesus prophecy stuff. Chapter 40, maybe, you know, uh, we'll rise on wings like eagles and, that, and have our youth renewed. That's a good one. But weirdly, chapter 1 doesn't get a look in very often. So have, have a look at this. And um, verse 10. Now remember, this is God talking to Israel, his chosen people. But these are the words he chooses to use. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the laws of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Please plead the case of the widow. Does that sound familiar? That's James 1.27 again, isn't it? God is saying, your worship to God cannot just be about singing and prayer or even sacrifice. It cannot just be about those things. That, they are inadequate expressions of worship. Now, God, God, you're the one that came up with singing and worship and prayer. Why, why are you telling your people off for it? It's not what they were doing, in one sense, that was wrong. It's what they had left undone that was wrong. God says your worship cannot just be about ritual and religion. It's got to turn into activism and intimacy. Let, let me explain why. God is linking his desire for us to care for the most vulnerable people 
He's linking that to our expression of worship to him. Now, why are those two things connected? Uh, Imagine this. Um, You've seen some of my children. I'll tell you uh, about some more of them in a minute. But um, imagine Joel. He's on the far end there, and um, he, he cycles to school. And let's just imagine that his cycle route, for some strange reason, takes him near your house. And um, it's a cold, frosty morning, and he's pedalling down the road, and um, he he comes to a corner near your house, and his bike spins out, and he goes flying across the road. And he ends up skinning his legs, and there's kind of bits of skin on the pavement, and, and, you know, he's not in a good way. And just using his elbows... He manages to make his way to your door. And you've got one of those flippy letterboxes that's near to the ground. you remember them? Not very helpful for the postman. That's how they, Maybe it's part of a workout to help postmen, isn't it? But, um, and, and he manages to open it and, and he says, help, help. And you're in. And you open the door. You see him in need. You recognize him as my son and you, you welcome him home and, and you, you, um, you, you make him a hot mug of cocoa, you bandage his wounds and then with another responsible adult so we're not breaking child protection policy, you, you put him in your car and you drive him to my house. Now if we were friends before, what you've done for my son, we're mates for life now aren't we? That you would show that expression of care, intimacy and activism. But let's, let's rewind. Back again. My son's bike flips out and he goes flying across the road and skins his leg and he makes his way to your door, lifts the letterbox. Help, help. And he's saying, hey, I recognize that voice. Sounds a bit like Krish. I remember I was at Devoted. We had a good morning session together. You know, I never wrote to him. He gave us his Twitter handle, but not, not his email. I never wrote to him. I'll write to him now. And you write me a lovely thank you letter. I love those. They, they, they warm my heart. And it's beautiful. In fact, it's poetic. In fact, for some reason, you've written it in iambic pentameter. <laughs> and I receive this letter, and I'm, I'm just moved and touched by your lovely words. But then I find out that you did that instead of helping my son. If we were friends before, are we friends anymore? That you would, you would leave my son, my precious child, in his pain because you decided to write to me instead? I think that's what God's getting at in Isaiah 1 and James 1, isn't he? You know, stop your meaningless gathering. Stop lifting your hands in prayer. Stop your sacrifices because you haven't cared for those that I care for. God describes himself as a father to the fatherless. In our communities are kids who are not being looked after by their family. It doesn't mean their family are dead Just they're not in in a position to be able to look after their children. And it's to those that God said, they are especially mine. I'm especially with those children. Because I am a father to the fatherless. And what we don't do for these children, God says, you haven't really done to me. This is inadequate worship. So what do I do? My wife has dropped this idea in my head. The Bible's convicting me that if I'm going to be godly, I've got to be a father to the fatherless. If if I'm going to be offering God the kind of worship that he wants, we need to care for widows and orphans. And so I'm convicted and I'm in now. And so we stepped forward and and went through an assessment process to become uh, 
foster care. Well, we tried adoption first. I'll, I'll tell you the, the whole story. We tried adoption first. Uh, we were living in Harrow in northwest London. Uh, it's a very dangerous place, Harrow. You, you're not convinced? I'll, I'll tell you how I know. Right? Someone stole our wheelie bin. <laughs> what kind of person steals a wheelie bin? I reckon it was someone with not enough disposable income. Or maybe they had a rubbish job or something. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. So we're living in Harrow. I was pastoring a church. We had, we had three, um, three kids. And um, all the bedrooms were being used. We phoned up uh, social services. Hey, I mean, this, you need to know, this is a long journey that we'd gone on to get to this moment. Okay. I, I was resistant. Wasn't sure I'd love a child the same if I you know, wasn't biologically connected. I had all the questions. And, um, you know, I've had this epiphany through opening scripture and my wife's guidance. And, and you know, we prayed. And then we reach out for the phone. And we lift it up. We dial the number. I said, we would love to be adoptive parents. And we were thinking there might be a fanfare at the other end. And, and they go, that is so good. We've been hoping for someone like you for so long. That wasn't the reaction that we got. It was, all right, how many bedrooms in your house? Okay, got three bedrooms. And how many kids have you got? Three kids and, and us. Yeah, yeah, well, they're very small kids. They can kind of fit in different ones. No, we're sorry. You're not appropriate to be an adopter. Boom. Just like that. That was not great. Slightly deflated, we did what you would do. We phoned up again, hoping to get someone else. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Kandaya here. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to be adoptive parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. How many bedrooms have you? Yeah, we've we, we got enough bedrooms, I'm sure. It's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell us about your ethnicity. Game on. I've got this one covered. Okay. My dad is from Malaysia. My mum uh, was from India. My granddad on my dad's side was from Sri Lanka. My granddad on my mum's side was from Ireland. My wife, she's English, but her mother's Welsh. Okay? How's that for ethnicity? Again, uh, we are never going to be able to find a child that matches your ethnicity. You are inappropriate to be adopted. Boom. Oh, man. That was it. So we thought, oh, no. You know, is, is, can, can we not do this? Is, this? is this the end of the story? So um, it turns out we, we end up, I, I ended up getting a, a new job uh, in Oxford. I was teaching at the university. And um, it came with a house. And it came with a house that had a dining room. Okay. Who needs a dining room? So um, some of the older boys were up for it. They, they had a, a room downstairs uh, in, that was a dining room, and we decorated it all nice for them, and then it gave us a spare room. So now we're going on, we're phoning up, and uh, how many bedrooms do you have? We have uh, four bedrooms. Oh, brilliant, sir. Come down. Come. So we, we started the process, and um, the, the need at that time in, in Oxfordshire uh, was for foster carers. And after about nine months of training and assessment and everything, uh, we became foster parents. And our first foster daughter uh, was a little girl. She came to us straight from hospital. Her mum had a load of kind of challenges in her life and had had children removed before. And so they removed this child very early. 
And uh, we all fell in love with her. The neighbors fell in love with her too. They, they kind, of knitted, kind of knitted her a kind of quilt thing and brought us food. And oh, it was just, just lovely. The church kind of had a little celebration when she came into the house. And it was beautiful. And things were going great. And then mum got better, which is kind of happy. So we thought, okay, great. So she went to be with mum. And uh, that was kind of going on fine. And then things broke down with mum. So she came back to be with us. And uh, that was fine. And then things got good again with mum. Okay, great. And then things got bad again with mum, and so she came to be with us. And at this stage, social services said, this child has had so much toing and froing and problems. Is there any way that you could adopt her? And we said, yes, of course we can. And so there she is there with the big hair. And um, we adopted her when she was about two and a half years old. Uh, she loves being adopted. She knows uh, as much as she can grasp about it uh, now that she's uh, nine. And um, she gets two birthdays. She gets her birthday birthday, and then she gets her adoption birthday. So that's double the amount of cake. And uh, she was, I was walking her to school uh, uh, at the end of last term. And she says, Dad, Dad, I'm double adopted, aren't I? And I said, how so? And she said, well, you know, I'm adopted into your family, our family, but I'm also adopted into God's family. And I thought, yes, I'm a nine-year-old theological daughter. (laughs) That's what I want. And uh, I'll tell you more about theology in a minute. But um, anyway, that's... So that's her. She's great. The, the little lad in the middle, um, this is a snapshot of my family. It's slightly out of date. It's the, it's the picture I show because the, the, the two boys either side of me now dwarf me. <laughs> it's not difficult to dwarf me. Just, just put me near any 12-year-old child and I'm, I'm, I'm dwarfed. But they are now like towering over me and I don't want to kind of publicly show that. Um, <laughs> So these, these lads aren't with us anymore, but the, the guy in the middle, um, his family were refugees from Ethiopia. Um, Dad had a lot of trauma in his life and took it out on mum. And uh, one of those times, it was so unbelievably violent that he got arrested. Mum and son got taken to a women's refuge. And while mum was having facial reconstruction surgery after the attack, this little lad came to live with us. And uh, he just has such an infectious joy about him, despite all the stuff that's happened to him. And uh, he knows all the words and all the moves to Moves Like Jagger <laughs> by Maroon 5. He's taught me some of them, which is great. Kids, my kids say I'm not allowed to show those in public. Um, <laughs> but if, yeah, we could, we, could, we could put on a little performance another time. Um, last story I'll tell you, and then I want to get into a little bit of theology, and then we'll get into some of the practicals. There's a, you see, he's just poking out there at the bottom. It's because I'm so tall, we couldn't kind of fit him in to the whole picture. It's a difficult frame here, but there's a little lad. Can you just see him poking out there? So this is Friday afternoon, 4.45 p.m., okay? Um, yeah, is anyone here a social worker? I met, I met one already. Just, I, I thank God for you guys. I think you, you do an amazing job. I think you have one of the most difficult jobs in the country at the moment. Um, you know, we've got, we've got Steve McLaren here, haven't we? And, and I'm, so, I'm so excited that, that he's here. Uh, it's a shame he couldn't come to the seminar because that would have been good. But football managers have a tough job, don't they? You know, um, they're always being criticised. Social workers have a tougher job. They're under criticism all the time. I meet so many Christians who say, oh, I thought about fostering, but the assessment process is really invasive. Those social workers ask you so many questions. And, um, and then 
Then at the other end, when there's a, there's a terrible case, you know, like Baby P, Daniel Pelka, um, you know what they say? They say, those social workers, they do not ask enough questions. Why didn't anyone ask the big question? So they get kicked both sides. And, and I, want, I think we should pray for social workers because they have a tough job. They're doing the job of protecting the widows and the orphans, um, and yet they just get kicked around. And I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying. When I go to universities, I, I encourage Christians to step forward for this as a way of serving God. This is part of being on a mission, isn't it? And um, you can do an awful lot of good for the kingdom of God as a social worker. So we honor you. But it's 4.45 on a Friday afternoon. That is a dangerous time in social work, isn't it? Because the office is going to close. And rightly so, you know, it it makes sense. Um, And so we get the call and it says, "Uh, Chris, we know you've already got a placement, but could you possibly take another one? And I said, okay, um, what can you tell me about the person? And they said, well, we can't tell you much. All we can tell you is he's a biter. That does weird things to you inside when you hear that on the phone. It's like, what, 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 does, he, what does he bite? I mean, things is okay. We've got a cat. He's, he's like ripped up all our furniture. So, you know, a few teeth marks isn't going to be an issue. Um, no, it is people. It's people. We bite. Oh, okay, all right. And now I'm thinking, oh, man, like we don't know anything about this child. We just know he bites people. And... Like, where's he been? What's he been exposed to? Is that going to be safe? Is that right? Oh. And then, you know, I, I have two jobs in life. I have one job is leading up London, um, Home for Good. The other one is I, I lead a theological college, London School of Theology. It used to be called London Bible College. Some of the finest leaders in the world came through London Bible College. There's this guy, what's his name? Terry something. Terry. <laughs> Terry. Yeah, it was some Terry guy. Had something to do with this movement, New Frontiers or somebody, and uh, he came through us. He came through us. I had him. I had him in. I had him in college giving a, 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 a brilliant chapel talk uh, earlier this this, um, this term, and um, we have all the photos of all the students. You know, they're kind of uh, class photos up on the wall. And um, Terry found his one, and he said, "Oh, look, there's there's my wife, Wendy. I, I met her at, uh, at at LST. It used to be called." London Bible College or London Bridal College. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, there's Wendy's old roommate, Nola Leach. Have you heard of her? She heads up care in the UK. That's, you know, massive uh, Christian charity. Oh, and there's one of my other uh, classmates, a guy called Oz Guinness. Uh, yeah, just a kind of small figure in the world of Christian apologetics and, and theology. I thought, man, your year was like a killer year. That was fantastic. So I'm a head of a theological college. And when someone says to me, he's a biter, some part of my theological brain begins to kick in. And I think, biter. That is an inadequate description of a human person, isn't it? You see, you and I, we are more than the worst thing we've ever done. Isn't that right? When God looks at you, of course he sees your sin. He sees all of our sin, all all the small sins and the big sins. He sees all of it. And yet he looks at us and he says, even though you've sinned, even though you've been sinned against, you're more than that. You're precious to me. 
You're a person made in my image. You're a child I want in my family. I love you so much, I'd let Jesus die for you. You're, you're more than just a sinner. You're a sinner who's loved by God. And so we had no choice, did we? Of course we're going to have him in our family. So he came in our lives, he turned it upside down. We, turned, we found out that he had had eight homes by the time that he was two and a half. Eight different family units had looked after him, just been passed around from one family to another. Is there any wonder why he might bite? He doesn't know who he is or where he's from. He just wants to let the world know he's here. And just wrapping him up in love and care and attention, he didn't change overnight. He's still got scars on the inside of him. But he, he was the most lovely little boy in the world. I took him on his first train ride. It was, um, I'd left my phone on the train. And have you ever done that? But I got called by the next station along. We found your phone. Can you come and get it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So he came with me. Apparently, as far as we know, it was the first train ride he'd ever been on. He spent the whole time stood on the seat. I know you're not supposed to do that. And he had his nose pressed against the window and he just shouted everything he could see. Bus, tree, car, sheep, bridge, car, sheep. Faster, faster, faster. (laughs) Everyone in the carriage was in absolute hysterics. They were just loving it. It was an 11-minute journey. <laughs> I think if it had been a bit longer, those kind of city types with their newspapers wouldn't have liked it so much. But it was amazing. And I am connecting. I'm thinking, I know your history. Okay, I know your background. I know what's happened to you. And yet, this moment, this, your eyes as wide as saucers, you are loving this. And I'm thanking God. I'm thanking him for the privilege I've been able to drop joy into this child's life just even for a short time. He ended up uh, getting adopted by a Christian family. It was lovely. I got invited to his fifth birthday. And uh, he remembered us. He hadn't seen us for two years. He remembered us. Runs up to my wife. Mummy Mim, Mummy Mim. It's beautiful. And just to see him flourishing and growing, there's nothing that can make your heart feel um, just as as joyful. So that's our story. Um, Why do I tell you that? I guess, I guess we've been on a journey. You know, I had to go on a journey. I, I find that lots of women are open to this, but us guys, for some reason, whatever it is, we're a little bit slower to pick up on it. Normally at the end of a conference, I've got a whole queue of people who want to talk to me. 90% of them are women, and they say, I'm up for it. I don't think my husband could. And I just want to say, guys, there is nothing unmanly about caring for these children. This is, this is when we're tapping into the Father heart of God, isn't it? And, and God, you know, if you're going to take your picture of manhood, you've got to take it from God and Jesus, haven't you? And they were incredibly compassionate. I, I was fearful that I wouldn't be able to love a child that I hadn't biologically connected with. And then my wife said, you know, do you love our cat? <laughs> yeah, I love I love our cat. No biological connection there. No. No, none. And then my wife said, do you love me? I said, yeah, of course I love you. Well, we're not related. Of course you can learn to love someone that isn't biologically connected to you. That's a stupid problem. My wife's so clever. So some of the issues that we put forward, some of the barriers that we put forward are not the right barriers. So uh, here's a quick question for you. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges 
um, that kind of act as barriers, stopping Christians uh, from stepping forward in this area? What do you think some of them are? Maybe just with your neighbour, um, just have a little chinwag about that and uh, see if you can come up in pairs with, with maybe three things per pair that you think are the biggest barriers that stop people thinking about this. Okay. Okie dokie. Um, so, Rupert, where are you? There we go. Um, this is Rupert. Let's welcome Rupert. Uh, he's the uh, newly um, promoted regional, uh, what do they call you? Director. Yeah. He, he came in this morning. He was just a manager. He'll leave this room as a director. And uh, Roger's agreed to increase his salary contribution, which is really generous. Thanks for standing with us. You, you name it, it happens, man. That's, that's, that's great. Um, so Rupert's working in, in this region alongside uh, another guy uh, called Joe, um, and they're, they're basically helping us work with churches, work with local authorities, and um, so they'll, they'll help you put on kind of information evenings, um, help with kind of Sunday services, all that kind of stuff, so uh, just so you know who he is. But he will be the kind of uh, microphone person for this part of the time, so if you've, if you've got some of those barriers that are out there, oh, and so will you. Very good. Nice to see you. Um, just uh, put your hand up and uh, my two men will help us find you. So um, let's do that. Yeah, you go first. Yeah. Tell us your name, where you're from. Uh, I'm Matt Cameron from Halifax. Um, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, we would be well up for this, but one of the things that we've been talking about for us is that our, we've got a really young family at the minute and my biggest concern would be the effect on them, where we did, you know, start fostering yeah. or something like that. So we, we, we're kind of talking about it as something to do in the future when they're on board with it, etc. So I don't know Good. if you've got any input on that. Yeah, really helpful. Um, so two things to say on that. One is um, very practical. You, you can't really do this until your youngest is two years older than the children that you're going to be looking after. That's the kind of general rule. So if you're thinking about adoption, for example, um, most of the need in the UK at the moment is not for babies to be adopted. Most of the children waiting to be adopted are two, two and a half plus. Um, and maybe with brothers and sisters, often with additional needs in their lives. Um, and so you, you can't do it until your youngest is at least two. Um, but the, the, the plus side, let me say this. Um, and every family is different. You know your family. Um, there isn't kind of one size fits all for this. But I, I thought about this the other day. Look, I love my kids. And because of that, I kind of build things into their lives to make sure they flourish. So um, the, one, the one on the end, he's really good at football. So football training and football on a Friday night, that's a big part of who he is. Um, the, the guy on the far end, uh, Luke, uh, he loves art. So I've, you know, we've invested in art materials to kind of help him flourish and grow. Uh, my, my daughter's really fast. So anything to do with kind of athletics and that kind of, that's, that's her, okay? And that we deliberately chose where we lived. We wanted to live near a school that would kind of help them to grow and develop. So all these things we're trying to build into them to help them flourish. Now, to be honest, most middle-class parents think the same way, don't they? Music lessons and after-school clubs and, and, and good schools. But Christian parents, one of our responsibilities is not just to help them flourish in every way that the secular society wants to see them flourish. It's to help our children become more like Christ. Okay? In fact, that's got to be the top priority. So what are the things that we're building into our children's lives to help them develop Christ-like character? Let me tell you a story. So 
uh, Anna. She, um, she, she was on her school residential, year six residential. They went down to the 1066 sites down um, uh, near Hastings and around there. And she had a great time. There were three beds in her bedroom, okay? So one for her, one for her best friend, and then there was a spare one. Now, there was another girl on the group that nobody really wanted to share with pretty difficult family background. And uh, where does she end up? She ends up in Anna's bedroom, okay? At the end of the week, we have the parent-teacher's consult. And the teacher says to me, um, and bear in mind, you need to know, Anna is now a teenager, uh, which means I'm not allowed to show her any affection in public. Okay? That's one of the rules I'm kind of learning how to navigate. Um, I have to call her Anna in public too, not Annie. And um, I, I have taken her to some strange places. I had to take her to Wembley Stadium where there was this band playing and you couldn't hear the band because there was just screaming for two hours. <laughs> By the grace of God, this band no longer is going to exist from... <laughs> next year but anyway there you go so you know we've, we've had our ups and downs she's a normal teenager she's not a saint but at the end of this week the, um, the teacher says to me um, Mr. Kandai your daughter was incredibly loving in fact almost motherly to this child that was actually in some difficult circumstances you know why was that and I thought to myself, well, I wonder if it's got anything to do with the fact that since she was four years old, she's been an older sister to probably 20 young children. Some babies, some toddlers, some older children. And she's had to share her food, her bedroom, her, her life, her parents, her breakfast with kids from care. And that has developed virtuous habits in her. She's not perfect. There's still a long way to go. The Spirit's working on her. But do you see what I'm saying? So I, I know there will be some negative consequences uh, to this. You know, you will have conversations around your dinner table that you might not have thought you'd have had until your kids were a lot older. You know, my kids know what physical abuse looks like. They've had to understand what sexual abuse looks like. They've had to understand what drugs and alcohol does to people. And we've had that adult conversation with them in an, an appropriate way. But actually, it's been one of the best things our family's done. Does, does that make sense? Okay, really good. Some other uh, uh, barriers or objections you think there might be? Yes. Hannah, and um, I'm from Bradford. Um, <laughs> I'm married to Chris for 10 years. We've got two young children, um, and my parents disapprove of our heart for adoption yeah. and fostering. Yes. Mainly along the side of, these are the exact words, some children are just too damaged. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, I feel for you on that one. Um, I've, I've heard worse. Um, I've heard of a, my friends in South Africa. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're living in South Africa, and, and they've adopted locally. And um, Christian parents, actually, really solidly Christian parents, have said, we're not going to give any of the inheritance that is for you and your children to this adopted child. They're not really part of our family. And you think... Really? So, look, I get it. As, as grandparents, it can be really tough to understand some of the motivations that are going on here. We've seen wonderful conversion stories almost uh, from this. Uh, so some friends of mine are Christian grandparent, adopt, adopted grandparents now. And they would look back and say, actually, it took a while, a little bit like me. You know, 
for, it isn't something that you can kind of wake up and go, okay, I'm on board. Sometimes we need a bit of time to get used to it. Sometimes we just need to pray. People read the Bible, get to talk about it. Sometimes it's hard to love an idea. So while these children are vulnerable children, there are 4,000 children waiting for adoption. There are 62,000 children in care. That's really hard. It's a bit like asking people, do you love the lost? Mm, That's just a concept. Do you you see what I mean? But do you love your neighbor? Do you love the guys that work in your office? Could you love this child? Do do you see what I mean? So sometimes the love comes later and they kind of come around to it. And, you know, I often say we're we're called to obey our mothers and fathers. I get that. But when we get married, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father. And so you're setting up a separate family entity. And of course, you don't want to fall out over this. um, But in the end, you've got to be obedient to what God's calling you to do and pray that they'll kind of catch up with it. But I I totally sympathize. I'm so sorry that, that, that you're experiencing that. The other side of it is also, we do need to get wisdom and counsel um, in that this isn't appropriate for every family. And, you know, you know your kids and their stability and what, what they're facing. And it might be, in this season of life, this might not be appropriate. You might have to wait until they're a bit older. So it's a family decision. Does that, does that make sense? So at the end of every foster placement, we always stop. And, you know, we have a kind of, we go out for dinner. It's kind of a commiseration dinner because we're going to miss these kids. But it's also, we try to make it a celebration dinner. We try to remember all the good things that we've been able to give this child. And, you know, maybe take some photos with us. And, hey, do you remember the time that, you know, um, you know this happened or that happened? And, and then we say, look, are we up for this again? You know, do we, do we need to take a break? And, and every member of my family has the right to veto. Does that make sense? So the kids need to know that, you know, they are carers alongside you. This is part of their ministry as well as just the parents. Does, does that make sense? Okay. Uh, maybe a couple more, and then I just want to give you Tinsy with a bit of theology. Yes, please. Yes. Oh. Hi. Yes. I'm Jen um, from Lancaster. I just wondered, have you had, like, major heartbreaks in your family? Um, that would be a concern for mine, um, that I would fall totally in love with with a child yes. and desperately not want to yeah, give them up. Yeah. Um, heartbreak is an occupational hazard for foster parents and actually for adopted parents and actually for most parents, <laughs> isn't it? At some stage, stuff happens, decisions are made. So, so it, it, it is an occupational ha- hazard for all of us. Um, yes, probably the most heartbreaking thing that we experienced, well, there's a couple of things. So one is... Um, we looked after a little girl from birth until she was three and a half. Uh, and then she got adopted and we kind of did all the kind of handover really nicely. Went up to kind of help her kind of get settled in the new place. I handed over maybe 1,700 photos because this girl had become part of everything in our life. All our family photos, all our family portraits, everything. She was one of ours, of course. And, um, and then we said goodbye. And then when we got home, we got a message from the adopters saying, we never want to see you again. We want you to have no contact at all with our family. And uh, that was really tough. Uh, We sent her a little birthday present uh, on her birthday. It was returned to us in the post. We mean no contact. So that was was unbelievable. You know, it was like a punch in the stomach. Um, Other kids that we've seen um, adopted have, have come back again. 
after experiencing abuse from their adoptive family. So it is heartbreaking. Now, you're not saying this, but sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, Chris, I I could never do what you do. I would just love the children too much. And I'm going, really? Are you saying I'm some kind of unfeeling robot? And, and you've just got this lovely soft heart. And, 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 you know, I am a dysfunctional human being. Ouch. Or even worse. And I know you're not saying this either. They say, you know, I, I would love these children too much to give them up. And I'm going, look, let's just get clear on our definition of love here. So the main reason you're not getting involved is because of how you're going to feel. That isn't called love. That's called selfishness. Okay. So, now, no, I know not everyone dispositionally is able to do this. We're not saying it, but just let's name it. You know, I, I am not capable of doing it. That is fine. Not everybody is. In fact, we don't need every Christian in the UK to become a foster care and adoptive care. There aren't, praise the Lord, enough kids to make that possible. There's about two million evangelicals in the UK. There are not two million kids in the care system. But everyone can have a role in these children's lives. Let me show you a little picture. Um, and, oh, here we go. So one of the things you do as a foster parent is that you, um, you make a life storybook for the children that move on to adoption. And um, it's, it's interesting. Some of the kids that are in care have no photographic evidence of their existence. Um, and so you're kind of trying to find as many from relatives or friends and you kind of put it together in a book and you tell the story of their life as graciously as you can. You're kind of honoring the love that some of their parents were able to show but, you know, weren't able to kind of follow through on or there was a lovely auntie that loved you or, you know, someone was generous and they gave you a teddy bear. And this child was kind of moving on to adoption to a family that didn't profess faith. And um, the lad in the middle, he had, he'd come into our family when he arrived he literally only had his lunchbox and his swimming kit. Like so many children, they are taken into care at school. So they go into school as normal. They call to the head teacher's office. The head teacher says, you better sit down. I've got some difficult news to tell you. Um, you're not going to be able to go home at the end of today. Well, why, why not? Well, we can't get into the details of it, but, but it's not safe for you to go home at the moment. Okay, so where, where am I going to go? Well, you're going to go with this lady. She's called a, a, a social worker. And she's going to take you to another family. No, you don't know this family, but they're going to look after you. Well, how long am I going to be there? Well, I can't really tell you that. We're not sure until, until it's safe for you to be somewhere else. Okay, can I go home and say goodbye to mum and dad? No, I'm sorry, you can't. How about, can I, can I say goodbye to my sister? No, I'm sorry, you can't. How about, can I pat the family dog? No, I'm sorry, you can't. Can I go pick up my stuff? No, no, your stuff will arrive. So he arrives at our house, and he is all over the shop emotionally. You can imagine that. He's got ADHD off the scale, so car journeys are brilliant, because never have I had so much conversation. You know, sometimes my teenagers are in the back listening to their iPods, playing on their games. Not with this lad. We've had 100 questions in 100 meters. It's been amazing. Loved it. And um, he also became a Liverpool supporter fantastic he accurately predicted i took my him and my oldest son uh, to watch arsenal versus liverpool at our local uh, snooker club had it on a massive screen so what's the score going to be in this game this little lad 5-1 yes come on 
He accurately predicted it. It was 4-0 by 20 minutes. It was a great game. So look, we loved having him in our family, but we loved having him in our church. And church was quite complicated for him. And we needed to adapt as church to make sure that kids with all sorts of learning difficulties and physical challenges are welcome. Our churches ought to be the most welcoming communities out there. Sometimes we don't do that. I've heard terrible stories. I've heard foster parents say to me, you know what, church is the hardest place to bring my foster kids. The amount of tuts and, you know, shakes of heads and, you know, when I was a parent, this is what we would do and the children wouldn't be behaving like that. Those kind of comments. I've had one elder of a church tell me that he adopted older, um, older children that had a, a whole bunch of challenges and um, someone in his church came up to him and said, we don't think you should be an elder anymore. Not, not the eldership, a member of the congregation. They said it says very clearly that an elder ought to have their house in order. Your house is not in order. Your children are misbehaving. And I thought that was just like someone stabbing someone in the back while they're lying on the floor. You know, he's, he's pouring love into a family, modeling the grace of God. And there's someone stabbing him in the back saying he's not the right kind of leader. He was doing an amazing job. I've heard of parents crying in the car park because their special needs child wasn't made welcome in Sunday school. And you don't just lose the child, you lose the whole family. So there's stuff that needs to change in churches to make sure we're welcoming. Now our little church, it's only a small little church in Tame, but they've kind of got on board. And we use the expression, it takes a whole church to raise a child. And uh, so this lad has foster aunties and uncles in the church. Some specific. So there's a lady there, um, she's uh, kind of got glasses on the top of her head. And um, she can't foster at the moment, just with her family situation. So she's included this little lad in everything often around her house. If, if they go on holiday, they bring him back a present or send him a postcard. Uh, if it's birthdays, there's stuff from them. They just love on him. And he, he just loves to see that there are people that care about him in our church. There's another guy just out of frame, and uh, he's an engineer. And with our permission, he would sit next to our lad uh, when he came to church, and um, he'd say, what's it going to be this week? A bus, a train, a car? What, 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 what is it? And um, because he's good at drawing, he would draw him something that would last the whole service, that would hold his attention so that he could stay within the service, not be off somewhere in a special corner, but he could stay connected. And so his pictures were included in this life storybook. So this is our farewell. What do we want to say? We want to model to you what church is about. Church is a bunch of people who are cheering you on. We want the best for you. You know us and you love us. We want to burn that idea into your memory. So maybe later in your life, you'll remember that there was a body of people that cared for you as if you were part of their family. So we're trying to drop those kind of ideas in. So even if you can't foster or adopt at the moment, there's stuff that you can do to wrap around other people. Um, I've heard of a, a cell group that's adopted a fostering family in their church. And one of the things they do to keep them on the road, keep them going, is the ironing. So Monday night, someone from the cell group turns up, takes all the ironing. Can you imagine that? It comes back again the next day. I've heard of foster grandparents who have said, okay, look, how about this? We can't foster, but um, on Thursday nights, whoever's in your house, whoever you're looking after, we'll get the DBS check to make this all right. We'll take them out to McDonald's, and if there's a good film on at the cinema, we'll take them to the cinema. And that will give mum and dad a night off, and we get to do that grandparent bit. You know, we get to treat the kids, fill them up with sugar, and then send them home again. (laughs) But it's great. Everyone wins out of that. Do you see what I mean? There's a way that fostering doesn't have to be just you and your family, 
but we become the support network around. Now, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face to get people to think about this is just imagination. It's just not on people's radar. It was not on my radar. I had plans for me and my wife and the family, and fostering adoption just didn't fit in. And so we need to do a couple of things to raise the profile to call the church to action on this. Here's some simple uh, things that you can do, and then I'll open up a few questions. Okay, the, the obvious one is, is step forward. And by step forward, I just mean, would you at least put this before God as a family and say, look, are you calling me to this? Now, there are a whole bunch of people that could be great foster parents or adoptive parents that might have ruled themselves out. Because the perception in the UK, in general, is adoption is for people that can't have their own kids. Okay? And adoption is like the third worst way to have a child. That's the perception in the general population. And sadly, it's often present in the church too. So... Best way to have kids, have your own kids. If that doesn't work, for some Christians, you know, fertility treatment is a possibility. If that doesn't work, well, there's always adoption as the third worst way to have a child. Now, the problem is, when you come because of fertility, you're going to want a baby. But that's not, what, that's not what's out there. So there's a whole queue of people in the UK who are waiting for adoption, and yet there's 4,000 kids waiting to be adopted. The problem is, they're not the right kinds of kids. They're not the kind of kids that these people want to adopt. Does that make sense? And it's not everybody, and there's some different circumstances in different places, but what I'm told by the professionals in the business is, it's like there's a shopping list. You know, we really want a little girl, because we've got a little boy, one little girl. Uh, we want her to, to, to look a little bit like us. We want no special needs. Uh, we, want, um, we want her to be really young. Now listen. Adoption, when you were adopted into God's family, do you know what? God didn't need you. God wasn't lonely and thought, wouldn't it be nice to have some extra kids in my life? You know, something to make, you know, me and the Holy Spirit and Jesus' relationship a little bit fuller. No, God, God is sufficient in himself, isn't he? He doesn't need us. God adopted us not because he needed it, but because we needed it. And God didn't have a list. Got to be a certain age, certain gender, certain race, certain abilities. You know, no sin, no emotional baggage. None of us would have got adopted, would we? God's gracious adoption of us is the model for our call to the church to adopt these children that need it. Does that make sense? This is not about us getting the kids that we want. That's called consumerism. This is about us being the parents that these children need. That's modeling the grace of God. Now, some people think fostering is just for people that need the money. There are definitely easier ways to earn money. (laughs) Fostering, again, is not about us. It's about, hold on, these kids are in an unbelievably vulnerable position. You might have been watching all these terrible news stories about uh, paedophile rings. Do you know who they are preying on? They are preying on young girls in care. That breaks my heart. You know when you break your arm as a child, the doctor will kind of say, look, I know this break has happened, but don't worry. Your arm will actually be stronger now. You won't break it again there. And yet, when these kids come into care, something bad must have happened to them for them to come into care. 
And they should be super protected, super safe now. They're called looked after children. But sadly, we're failing them. We're not looking after them. They're more vulnerable when they come into care. You know, when kids age out of care, most kids aging out of care at 18, their life chances do not look great. So many of them end up not in education uh, or training or employment. So many of them end up, sadly, committing crimes. Many of them end up homeless. The worst stat that I heard was 30% in some regions, 70% in other regions of young women in the sex industry are girls that have aged out of care. Now, we, the church, are waking up to social justice at a whole new level. And I love Jubilee Plus and all that they're doing. We're helping people that, that are in prison. 25% of the male prison population are young men that have aged out of care. Hugely overrepresented group of people. It's great we're helping people when they've come to that end. But think of the difference we could have made if we'd intervened when they were three years old. Can't promise you Despicable Me or Anna Green Gables kind of endings, but surely they'd have a better chance of a, of a good and fulfilling life if we'd loved on them. Does that make sense? So on one level, we're, up, we're asking the church to up its game on justice. For so long, we think mission is something we do when we leave our homes and we go down to the church building, we open it up for a few hours and help people in distress and then send them home and, and, and then we go back to our houses and live our lives. Mission doesn't begin outside the house. It begins inside your house. You know the expression that an English person's home is their castle. Have you heard that? Sadly, we Christians still have that mentality. I can do anything you like outside, but just leave my space alone. Christian, you were called to something different. For a Christian, your home is supposed to be a hospital. It's where the word hospitality comes from, doesn't it? That we're going to love these children in all their distress and show them the kind of 24-7 love that God has shown us. All right, we promised you a chance to ask questions, and so we're going to make sure that you get a chance to do that. Maybe there's a general question. Maybe there's another kind of uh, a level of question that uh, you want to ask. Uh, just express that to your neighbor very briefly, and then uh, Hazel is going to come and try and help with me with answering some of these. And um, Rupert and... can't remember your name, Mr. Orange T-shirt. Robert is going to... You've got matching T-shirt and mic. How did you manage that? That's, that's very cool. Is that okay? Good. So, yeah, have you got, have you got a question, general question that you want to raise? Um, and, yeah, you, you decide. We'll, we'll go wherever you say. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll go here and then we'll do that one. Yep. Yeah, go for it. Joe, I'm from Macclesfield. Um, Hello. Silk Life. Um, I'm wondering whether, because you, you mentioned about the fact that you need a spare room for, are there other restrictions that um, you're looking for, for uh, people to be foster carers or adopters? Great, really good. Do, do you want to answer, shall I answer that? Okay, I'll answer that one. Um, yes, so 99% of the time to be a foster parent or adoptive parent, you do need to have a spare room, okay? And that is complicated. Um, sometimes some local authorities will say, okay, if you're only going to care for babies, they can, you can do that in, in your room. But most of the time you need a spare room. Um, and that can be quite restrictive. We've heard some lovely stories. So we've heard of a, of a wealthier member family of a church that have said, okay, we believe in you. 
that you're called to foster in. And so we're going to underwrite the rent for you on a bigger house. And uh, when social services heard about that, they go, who are you people? You know, you're not even related and you're kind of doing the kind of stuff that my parents wouldn't even do for me. That's amazing. And then the Christians go, well, actually, we are related, aren't we? You know, church is not just something we do. It's a family. This is the kind of thing we do for each other. The other thing is there's no age restriction on fostering or adoption uh, any more people thought there was. There isn't. You just need to be in good health. Um, I've met 70-year-old foster carers who are still caring for babies. I met some of those at Keswick, and uh, they were camping with a kind of four-week-old baby. I thought, yeah, come on. So if you thought, oh, I'm too old, sorry, that's been crossed out. You can do this as a single person. In fact, I've met loads of single foster carers and adoptive carers. And some people go, oh, yeah, what about the the other person? I'd say, look, um, there are no perfect families, okay? I'm sure there are things that we do not model well in our family. And so, you know, we're all kind of doing the best that we can under the circumstances that we have. I think it's better that a child has one parent in their lives that really cares for them um, than no parents that are currently able to do that. And if you are a single person doing it, all the more reason for the church to wrap around you and give you that support. So, great question. Do you want, you want to raise one? Yeah, we've had uh, two questions about taking foster children to church and about the agencies not necessarily wanting you to take them and how you deal with that. That's a really good question. So, um, in the assessment process, the key thing that a social worker wants to know is are you a safe place for a child to be? Does does that make sense? That's what they're concerned about. That's the primary concern. That's what they're checking. Are you safe? Now, some social workers have had really good experiences of church, and so they can understand the church can be a lovely community of support. Now, some social workers have not had good experiences of church. Some social workers are only understanding church through the lens of maybe the Guardian headlines. And so they've got a whole bunch of stereotypes about church and what kind of things church do. And so sometimes it is just helping the social workers to understand what goes on and how it is and and how you treat people. They are worried that you'll be robbing a child of its religious freedom. That if they come, let's say a a non-faith child or a Muslim child comes into your family, would you be forcing them to become Christians? And, you know, I'll say things like, well, actually, the whole point of Christianity is that no one can become a Christian for you. This is up to you. And, uh, you know, we just... We don't want to exclude the children from this important part of our lives. If it becomes an issue, and if it's a choice that this child or their family are prohibiting us from taking this child to church, we would put the needs of this child first and find a way to flex around this, this child. Just like if you work as a doctor, sometimes you have to be call on call on a Sunday. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. It just means you have a calling as a, as a doctor and you kind of find a way to do it, don't you? So I'll go to church in the evenings or we'll tag team. So you need to be able to show and, and for it to be true that you'll put the needs of these ch- children first. To be honest, in practice, we've never had a problem with any of the parents of our foster children and church. So Muslim families have been very happy that children are coming to church with us because we value faith. And as long as we've been careful and we need to help Sunday school teachers understand the kinds of things they should and shouldn't say and do with children from care that are coming in, as long as we're careful, I think it can be a lovely experience for them. So, you know, be sensitive, help a social, get into the mind of a social worker and and what they might be worried about, uh, but also 
be thinking about what your church's practice is and how we can make this appropriate. So things like you can't tell everybody the stories of your children because it's just not safe to do that. And you need to help your church know that you're not being rude, that I'd love to tell you, but actually we're not allowed to, you know. So find a way to kind of make that gracious, but have friends that you do have that kind of closer trust with that are able to stand with you, but not the whole church can know. You can't have them up the front and kind of lay hands on them and pray for them. That You know, you have to imagine if their parents were in the room, would they be happy with what was going on? Does that make sense? So there are some sensitivity questions we need to ask, but in general, hasn't been a problem in our 10 years of experience. Another question is, how does Home for Good deal with the issue of the new rights of blood parents to have contact with their children post-adoption? And that's from an adult um, who was adopted at the age of four. Yeah, no, really good. So um, w- with, a, with adoption, um, everything is open now. So it used to be, you know, um, you'd, I've heard terrible stories of, of people being told on the day they're getting married, by the way, thought this would be a good time to tell you that you're adopted. And, you know, people go, or, or after their, their birth, their, their adopted parents have died, then finding out, you know, in, the, in a will or something that they, they're adopted. So that the whole process now is, is open. So children know from the earliest age that they were adopted. And, and you help a child to process that all the way through. And so because of that, um, birth families have access to the adopted children. Now, normally, again, 99% of the time, this is what they call letterbox contact. In other words, you'll get a letter from birth, often it's birth mum, at certain times in the year, maybe once or twice a year. Um, And you as the parent, you can look at that, and actually sometimes it's appropriate to share that with the child straight away. Sometimes mum is not in a good position, so you don't share it yet, but you keep it. And then when the child's able to, and you get to choose this because you're the parent, um, you help them process what's going through. Now, after a certain age, and it varies in different places, when a child reaches adulthood, they may choose to have then contact with their birth family. And that can be a lovely experience. It can be a really traumatic experience. And so, again, there's help and support to help you work through those things. And there are agencies that we can put you in touch with that can kind of walk you through some of those issues. The other question I have on here is, what is your favourite cheese? <laughs> That's my favourite cheese. Um, well, I, I actually, I'm a, I'm a big fan of camembert. I don't know why, but yeah, I can't even think of any cheesy jokes to t- say about it. But that's good. Okay. Uh, oh, one more, and then we'll do floor. Um, have your own children ever been teased by their friends because of the caring that you've done? Um, actually, no. As far as I know, they haven't. Um, and in our school, it's just a normal comprehensive school, there's actually something called a young carers program. And because they are foster siblings, they get included on that. So um, particularly Luke, um, he's been to Alton Towers, he's been to you know, um, special day trips, they do special lunches. Um, and you know, schools have been very good at embracing him in that way. All right, I know we're running short of time. Let me just give you the last three things that you can do. Oh, and Rupert has a little sheet that um, if you would like to stay in touch with us, we would love for you to pray for what we're doing. We are a tiny charity with a crazy big vision. So, you know, we started a year ago uh, in the middle of a global economic crisis. Brilliant time to start a charity. And um, we just need God to kind of take this to the next level. 
that it becomes the most natural and normal thing in the world for Christians to foster and adopt. So Rupert's just got a little sign-up sheet um, that you just pass a few round and then people can start doing them. I should have remembered it earlier. Um, and he's also got a little table over there where you can find out some more information. So pray for what we're doing. That would really help uh, us. So that's support us. If you do want to financially support us, that would be fantastic too. Um, one of the key things you can do is to speak up about this. So if you are a preacher, okay, um, why do we not talk very much about our own adoption into God's family? Um, we often talk about being rescued, saved, justified, forgiven, but actually adoption, and I, you can read our books called Home for Good, we're doing a little signing about it later, um, full of stories, full of theology, full of um, practical tips about what you can do either to become a carer or to support carers. Um, our adoption is the highest privilege that we've been given as Christians that we have been loved by God so much that he'll have us forever. So can you speak about it? Uh, we do something called Adoption Sunday. It's coming up in the autumn. And um, could your church just pray for the vulnerable kids? Not as a separate prayer meeting, but on Sunday morning, so that this idea is dropped into the minds of the average member of your church. Um, could you use your social media influence so retweet the stuff that we put out there, like the Facebook stuff that we've got out there. That helps people to see it. Um, do you have a skill? It might be your artistic. Um, we, we need um, photographers, artists, poets to create stuff with us that will change the imagination on this subject. I was at an event like this and someone came up to me and said, um, I'm actually a director of one of the big four accountancy firms. Do you think I've got any skills that might be able to help your organization? <laughs> actually, yes, yes, you can. And uh, he's the head of corporate risk for PwC, and he's using all of his business skills to help us as a fledgling little charity to think through strategy. That has been such a gift to us. So maybe you have a transferable skill about how we can change the church's attitude, how we can change the nation's attitude in this subject. Please get in touch with us. My email is actually on the screen, and it's chris at homeforgood.org.uk. And uh, just drop us an email. If you want to email me and you want to just pray, just put pray in the subject line. We'd love to hear from you. But if you've got a skill, artistic, creative, whatever it is, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Help us change the way that the nation thinks about this subject. If you've got a moment and you're able to, could you stand? And I'd just like to pray for us as we kind of close this session up. And you might want to put out your hand out as a kind of sign that, that you're here and available. Father God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you are a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. Thank you that you are a father to us. That even though we were full of sin and brokenness, we were damaged, we were old, we had all sorts of things in our lives. And yet you still wanted us. Thank you for that. And Lord, we want to say sorry Sorry when we've offered you worship that you didn't ask for. Sorry when our activism and our intimacy towards the poor and the vulnerable has been eclipsed by our religion, by our ritual. Lord, help us to offer you the kind of worship, the true religion that you've asked for. And Father, please, please use us and our churches and, and churches like ours across the nation to find the loving homes, the loving families that all these children need. And Lord, we pray that not a child would be left behind in the system, not a child would age out without a family around them to love and care for them. 
Lord, would your church rise up and as a result, would your gospel be proclaimed? Would people see the gospel of grace in our lives and give us the confidence to speak that truth out to? And all God's people said, Amen. just want to say thank you so much, Chris. You've uh, just served us so superbly. And I know, I know, kind of God's doing stuff in people's lives. Can I really encourage you uh, to uh, access the website? And also, Chris will be in the hub at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So there's a meet the author session in the hub, 2 o'clock. And I'm sure he'll take more questions there as just part of that. It's not just book signing. So, Chris, thanks so much. Been excellent. Okay. And just say that uh, we've got Rupert here. And Chris, they're just going to be by the table over there. So there is time just for for more questions now as well. Okay, so don't miss the opportunity.